I need to know everything Who in the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But I like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche There's five and a horse, I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you'll be surprised at the info you get this Hello and welcome to JK Plus One I am your host, Jonathan Kinchin I am not back with you from the Brooklyn Bunker I'm not, uh, not even from the planet Texas today uh, I'm from an undisclosed location, uh, quarantining until my uh, first ever COVID test comes back negative. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm laying low at the moment. But uh, I got the I got the swab today in the nose. It's a little bit uncomfortable, but I feel like I took it like a champ. I feel like I uh, I wasn't phased too much. I uh, <clears throat> you know I just I shook it off pretty good. It was very uncomfortable, but. Anyway, so I got that. I'm good. I mean, I've been laying low, so we'll see what happens. But uh, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Saratoga opening week. What's wrong with that? Huh? Hopefully you've noticed by now that there's a new logo out, the JK Plus One logo, um, which was very fun to be a part of the process of making. And uh, I I think it's funny. And I like it. And if I didn't retire from getting tattoos, I might get it tattooed on me somewhere, but I'm over that because it hurts too bad. But uh, yeah, anyways, look, I'm I'm super, super, super excited about my guest this week. And in fact, this is a guest that, that has been on my agenda for a very, very long time. And I felt like there was no better time to, uh, I've been saving, I've been saving a few. And I felt like this is one that I wanted to say for uh, Saratoga opening week early at Saratoga when everyone's excited about the meet and uh, a person that uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to for sure. So um, before I get to that, uh, same old, same old, subscribe, the little purple app in the uh, in the, in the iPhone, make sure, you, make sure you subscribe. If you like the show, retweet, text us, tweet us, interact with us, let us know what's going on. But uh yeah, let's let's get to it. It's uh, I'm sure you saw it in the title. I'm sure you've seen it in the tweet. But I'm very very happy to have uh, my friend and and someone who uh, does a much better job on the Fox shows than I do, Maggie Wolfendale, with us today. And I uh, I told her, but I'm going to say it again because I think I say it at least at the beginning. But I'm going to say it a little bit more clearly here. I, I let her know that at least for me personally, there's a lot of people on TV that I don't need to hear what they say. And I'm not talking about the people that I work with. I respect the people I work with. I'm just saying like, I don't need to hear a lot of people's opinions to be able to make my opinion, to be able to figure out how I'm going to better sequence. But Maggie is definitely a person who, who I want to hear what they have to say. Um, it, it, she answers a lot of questions that the past performances don't answer when it comes to questions about a horse coming off a layoff or a first time starter or a first time turf or whatever it might be. So um, I, I kind of, I wouldn't call it fanboy, but there's a part of me during this this conversation that like I just want to know more, and and I hope that I I asked some questions that that you all listening would like to have the answers to as well. So, without uh, you know me carrying on anymore, I think I've I've heard her referred to as uh, Mrs. Mrs. Tom Morley, but I think that it's the other way around, right? He's Mr. Maggie Wolfendale. Either way. I'm very, very happy to have my friend Maggie Wolfendale. 
Well, you know, just sitting here on a dark day, uh, talking to you, JK, uh, the girls, one's sleeping, one's getting ready for lunch, uh, normal, normal, normal midday activity when I'm home. The calm before the storm. It, like, I'm excited, obviously, about it. It's so much fun, but like thinking about <laughs> what the next nine weeks are going to look like is a little bit daunting, at least. I'm excited about it, but it's still, it's a daunting task. It is. I am like shaking in my boots because I'm a little nervous because I've never been to Saratoga with two children. And I think that especially one that's only five months. Um, so it's a lot of uh, trepidation on my part of how I'm going to manage the two of them because Tom's not going to be there the whole time. But I'll tell you what, Saratoga is so much easier now that it's five days a week. I don't know what it is, but that extra day off just is like this huge burden off my back. And I felt so much more relaxed during the meet last year um, that I'm looking forward to it again in that sense. But it's going to be strange. I mean, 2020 is like a year like no other. Yeah, you know, I, I last year being my first full summer, like doing, you know, doing the show, like I, I cannot imagine what it would have been like doing it for six days a week. I cannot imagine because those two days go by so fast anyways because even on monday you feel like you have work to do because there's wednesday to look at there's thursday you just already feel like you have something to do even if you want to be you know rebellious and pushed off till tuesday it's still like sitting there you know i can't imagine how you would do it when there's essentially no day off yeah no it's uh it's it's getting up early every single day because I can't work at night. Like some people, like they can work, you know, put the kids to sleep and, and keep working. I can't do it. I much rather go to bed at 8.30 and get up at 4.30 and do my work before the kids get up. So that's how I approach Sar- Taroga slash every other working day of my life. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's, it's tough, but I highly recommend setting at least one day of those dark days to enjoy Saratoga. Um, I know it's gonna be a little different this year, but even going hiking, uh, getting on the boat, what have you, because you need that. You need that mental break a bit. I know. I think I'm going to be a lake rat this year. I, I, I won a few times last year, but I think I'm going to be full meal deal just because, you know, I'm not going to be going to a lot. I used to go to Druthers like all the time and sit like kind of inside but outside. And I think right. I could still feel comfortable sitting inside but outside, but probably more outside. But, you know, I'm going to be uh, scouting out the patios, but I figured the, the biggest patio that you could have is just that big lake. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to be getting my lake on quite a bit this, uh, this year. It is going to be a little bit odd. Well, the, the, so the lake local wasn't open last year. Um, like the la- the two prior years it was. Um, and it was such a cool spot. Now they've completely redone it. And I'm pretty sure it's open now. I forget it has a new name, but it looks- I think like- someone said that. Yeah, I think I heard that it is, so. Yeah, it looks amazing. So I'm looking forward to, to taking that in because you can sit outside on the, you know, little shore there by the lake and get your drink on and, you know, just chill. And it's safe in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Um so, you know, I'm, I'm glad to, to, to have you on. I've always wanted to like have a, a conversation with you about some of this stuff. And, and obviously I've been fortunate enough to work with you and, and get to know you over the last, you know, year and a half or whatever, but I still, I don't think we've ever even had some of these conversations, but you know, I don't, and I, I think I've, I've in a roundabout way, I've told you how much I appreciate and respect what you do um, just through some of my comments, but you know, I, you know, obviously I started as a, as a player and this just kind of happened and without a doubt, Still to this day, 
you are the only person that I get pissed off on the simulcast show when I miss what they said. <laughs> and for the longest time, that wasn't really anything. If you, if I missed it, like if I had it muted or whatever, and I was looking at something else and then I look up and they're in the paddock, I'm like, Oh shit. And I like hit mute and then I'm like, Oh, she's not talking. I missed it. I missed it. So now I'm texting. What did Maggie say about the seven? Did she say anything about the seven? I'm texting people or whatever. Um, and so I just, as a, as a player, I wanted to tell you how much, you know, I appreciate your, your knowledge. Cause that's something that I can't, I can't look on the paper and determine if a horse is fit. I can guess, I can look at formulator and decide that Chad's 32% with horses off a of layoff in grade ones or whatever it might be. And that can give me that indication, but there's nothing better than, than hearing someone's opinion that you respect, tell you that the horse looks fit. Well, thank you. I mean, that means a lot because you and like you especially, but everybody else that we were as far as from a handicapping perspective, i.e. Andy, I mean, you guys put so much work into it. I mean, I honestly don't have to put that much work in. I mean, I do, obviously, but it's kind of I am basically formulating my opinion with 10 minutes in the paddock with these horses. So <clears throat> it's more of a on the spot kind of analysis, but yeah, it, it's, it takes a lifetime, if you will, of, of being around horses. But I mean, I don't want to say I take it for granted, but I kind of do in a way because it's just what I've always done is, is look at horses and yeah, you, you continuously learn and fine tune your skills, but I really appreciate that compliment. Um, and I hope that, I hope that most people feel the same as well. Um, because I really enjoy what I do. So I've, like kind of over your shoulders seeing your notes. I've never like really like dove in and like talked to you about it, but I have, I've, I've actually predicted how I thought I think you do it. And so I'm, I'm interested to tell you that. So I've predicted that like what you do when you talk about, cause I'm always like, how the, how the hell does she know that the horse is like looks better today than he looked last time. And I said, there's gotta be a way that she does something. And so what I thought you did is I thought maybe on a scale of one to 10, you rate, them on their fitness or their their coat or whatever it might be and that way when they come back a little bit taller or bigger you remember you can have something to compare it to because you have the scale in your head of oh he looks like a nine today but i had him in my form is looking like a four last time am i close well the thing is is i am such a non-numerical person that like i wish i could do it like that but i totally don't um i use like my keywords in my notes um that help me and to having a little bit of a photographic memory of what horses look like and trust me using up all my brain space for for horses has really you know made my memory for other things really bad so it's luckily I remembered to do this podcast with you because you only said it to me yesterday. So, but, um, I just use words that help me remember what horses look like. Um, it's, you know, I use pretty fit. Okay. Well, pretty fit is, and they still look a little soft, very, very fit is, I kind of wish they had a little bit more weight on stuff like that. You know, it's just, it's keywords in the way I kind of emphasize things when I'm talking or even writing stuff down. So that's kind of how I remember what horses look like a year ago um, to today. Do you, when, does your memory, when the, does it kind of apply with like markings and stuff? Like could, could, you know, Lady Eli or, um, 
songbird or you know uh i'm trying to think of another like you know uh yeah honor code could they walk in and you can be like oh that's who that is yeah famous horses totally i mean it's it's easy even but and then like even horses that uh are new york breads or that primarily have run on the new york circuit i can i can tell who they are and too like it's so funny i noticed this the other day watching i know what trainers use as far as their equipment like I don't even have to watching replays like if I know the trainer I don't even have to look at the silks or the number or anything like that I just automatically know when they break oh that's Brendan Walsh's horse oh that's Todd Fletcher's horse oh that's Brad Cox's horse because of the equipment that they wear as well (laughs) that's crazy yeah I've I've always there's like you know some of the ones that have like really unique blazes I can identify pretty quickly right yeah. But the rest of them, I've got no shot, just like based on how they look or whatever. It just throws me off too much. We well, you know um, what's doing that is I, I don't know if people remember Mary Ryan, and she used to do the, the morning show at Saratoga for breakfast at Saratoga. Um, I kind of took over for her for a little bit there. And so that helped me with identifying horses too. Oh, well, yeah. I, I, was, I was probably drunk in college somewhere when that happened. <laughs> now so when it comes to like some of the things that you talk about like on the show like turf hoof and um being built downhill and um is that just something that you just picked up over time just like seeing horses all the time and and understanding what those things look like yeah learning it from from people like my dad always taught me about like turf hoof and and stuff like that and um to like the different body types or what's better as far as running long or running short but that a lot of those body types you also have to learn the pedigrees and that's been kind of a labor of love and a learning as I go type of thing because I wasn't all that well-versed as far as bloodlines go when I first started, because I mean, my dad had cheap, cheaper horses and you're not going to find those, those bloodlines necessarily in my dad's barn. So as I've gone, you know, I've, I've learned what the medallion Doros look like, the, you know, progeny of AP Indy down the line, the the, uh, tappets, what the good tappets look like versus the not so good tappets look like. Um, so that's stuff I've learned as I go. And then um, even like with, with the built kind of downhill and uphill things, those are actually things I learned doing dressage and looking at horses after their careers and what they might be good at. You know, horses that are really built downhill, they're not going to be good dressage horses because they have trouble coming back on their haunches, but that also makes them very fast horses. Uh, so it's just, yeah, it's been being around horses my entire life. And uh, just, it's a lot of learning as you go, to be honest. I mean, I had a, obviously a good foundation when I started 10 years ago, but I know so much more now um than what i did then so i'm gonna do like a little quick speed quiz round thing it's not like a quiz but just just your opinion um just kind of like your picture of this type of horse like what horse pops in your brain for like that's the perfect looking this type of horse like that just that you that you've seen in your career or even just in general um long distance turf horse who's the picture of a long distance turf horse um (laughs) 
uh, 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 long distance turf horse, uh, like marathon distance? Yeah, well, just like, you know, mile and a quarter, mile and a half, you know, bricks and mortar-ish type, you know, two-turn turf horse. Doesn't have to be a mile. Doesn't have to be a mile and a half, but just mile and a quarter. I mean, even a, you could even cheat into the mile if you want. Because I'm not going to ask you a mile turf horse. Mile turf horse are very specific. Weirdly, um, I would say Flintshire. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. See, learn something new. Yeah. Um, sprinter, dirt sprinter, six furlongs. Here we go. Best looking dirt sprinter you've ever seen. That I've ever seen. I would like I keep I I'm thinking like progeny kind of thing like like Spikes Towns are always like that type of body. I mean, maybe Jersey Town. That's really a, a weird one, but yeah. No, that's that's the yeah. point of this. Yeah. Um, and now, so I get your. I'm gonna go classic dirt juvenile. You can go whichever one you want first. It's the best looking, like two year old. Where it's like, you know, man amongst boys, woman against amongst girls. Just the juvenile that just stands out to you. Like, oh my god, that was a statue of a two year old. Oh, honor code. Really? Yeah. And was, he was, was that good, but he was just so draw dropping in that Saratoga paddock when he debuted. I was like, what? <laughs> Um, I was, I was hoping I was, I guess, I guess I was hoping that you were going to say like uncle Mo. Cause when I saw uncle Mo at Coolmore, I had no idea that he was that massive. I thought he was like this little sprinter looking thing. I just, that was just my uneducated opinion of what I thought he was when he was running. And I had no idea he was a monster. What's weird, Jonathan, is he wasn't like that until his, the latter half of his three-year-old campaign. Remember he was, he had like that liver problem. And one of my first I don't want to say greatest because I was actually not talking positively about it, of course, but one of my greatest finds was in that wood memorial. I mean, it was all about Uncle Mo. Remember him coming back as a three-year-old and they kind of had that fake race for him down at Gulfstream. And I mean, it was basically the Uncle Mo wood memorial. And he walked in the paddock and I was like, oh, this isn't good. Like, I remember my exact words were, I am not looking at a horse whose physicality matches up with his resume. I would like to look elsewhere. And I actually did pick Toby's corner. <laughs> that was one of my, but anyway, I had only been doing it for a couple, a uh, couple years at that point, not even like a year. Um, and he did not reach his physical of what you probably saw of him until like three going into four. Um, he was, he really grew in other words, but, um, honor code was kind of like this beast from day one. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. I, yeah, I, he was uh man, he was something else. Um, classic, just dirt horse breeders cup, classic Kentucky Derby. Um, what's, what's, what's one that you've had the chance of seeing that just like is the picture. Justify. I mean, he wouldn't even go Breeders' Cup Classic. I know that's a little bit copping out because we didn't get to see what he could do. But I, he was just big and gnarly and just everything you would see. But, like, you think of American Pharaoh, he wasn't quite as big, but he was such an athlete. I mean, he was so well-balanced, so proportionate. And But sometimes you don't want horses to be that big. That's probably why we only saw justify for that fleeting moment because big horses they're a little harder on themselves and 
they don't stay sound as long. So, I mean, Justify is kind of like that perfect physical that I, I would think. Um, 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 tonalist, he, I loved, like, he was definitely classic and the way he was put together. I mean, I remember people telling me, I think my uncle who gal has galloped for Christophe Clement like on and off um, throughout the years because he spends his winters in Payson. And he would, he, he told me, he's like, Christoph told me when this horse was a two-year-old before he even ran that this was his, uh, Belmont horse, that he was going to win the Belmont stakes with him. So he knew, um, but he was definitely, as far as a physical, that classic frame that I, that I like to look for when you're thinking about classic dirt, distant dirt, dirt horses. All right. So now I just want to ask you about a couple of my favorites that I'm sure you, you would, uh, remember how irrigate, how did he, was he, uh. Did he look like he ran or was it the other way around? No, he did. He, he, I, you know, he's one of those horses that I'll probably get crap for this, for saying this, but a brilliant horse that I never could warm up to. And I don't know why. Um, I really don't know why I could never warm up to him because he was just kind of that he was, well, he was gray um, to start with. I always have a, a little bit of a stigma to, towards gray horses because they're not very fun to ride. Um, <laughs> and that's really just like crazy or what? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of being a little stereotypical, but that's sometimes why you see the, the tappets that are gray that are a little bit hard to deal with mentally. Um, but Arrogate definitely looked like a long distance dirt runner. Absolutely. He wasn't brilliant looking. He wasn't that eye catching. He was kind of a little bit more of a, a raw and rugged type of horse. Um, and maybe that's why I wasn't completely enamored with him physically, but yeah, no, he looked like what he was. Matoli, was he good looking? Yeah. I mean, he definitely had a more of a sprinter frame and sprinter miler frame. That's what he was good at. A little bit on the smaller side with that being said, but I, I, I really liked him physically. He was, he was my kind of horse. And he always had that intense look in his face too. I love that. Yeah, no, God, he was so good for, for that, that, I mean, that little run. And, and it looks like Vacoma is, 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 uh, is primed to, to kind of give him a run for his money on the year that he had last year. Vacoma has that funny action, but I, I think I've heard you say to maybe other people too, that he doesn't, he doesn't, but he doesn't look funny or walk funny. Oh no, he's, he's, he's fairly correct i mean if you look at confirmation and and body wise i mean he's beautifully balanced and just muscle where you want muscle yes typical of the the sprinter miler type of frame more so than wanting anything more than that i really hope and it sounds like they are going to keep him you know at that kind of distance but um it's funny that action and i mean I know that when he ran in the Carter, I said, I wouldn't want to ride him. I meant I wouldn't want to look down while riding him because everybody tells me, Javier Castellano included, how smooth he feels underneath you. And I've, I mean, I talked to obviously Cindy Weaver, George's wife, um, a couple of the exercise riders, you know, that, that kind of him early in his career. And they said that he's just feels really, really smooth, but it's, it's a little tough to watch. I mean, when he does a lead change, it looks like he's going to cross his legs over and you're like, <gasps> you know, but it works for him. Um, I mean, there's plenty of athletes, human athletes throughout the years that were pretty unconventional in the way that they swung a golf club or swung a baseball bat, but they got it done or even tossed a football. So um, they, 
it's 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 what works for you and what makes you brilliant. Now I'd imagine that through your career, one of the the you know I'm sure you had some things you had to overcome and some obstacles, and and one of them probably being our friend Andy Serling. But more importantly, what how did you handle and how have you handled some of the the I would imagine conversations, uncomfortable ones you've had to have about talking poorly about somebody's horse. And, and and obviously it's never personal, but that's your job to give your opinion and your evaluation. So, um, you know, obviously if you have any fun stories about that without naming names or with naming names, you more feel free to, but how, how have you navigated that aspect of your job? Uh, I'll say right now, I'm not going to name names, but there have been, there have been some rocky times now, like in the last couple years, like, I mean, come on, I've been doing this for 10 years. You're not going to get rid of me by by trying to get me fired <laughs> because you're mad I talked about your horse in a certain way. And as you said, it's nothing personal. And at the end of the day, I'm here for the better. I'm not here to promote any trainer, owner, breeder, what have you. My job is for the betting public. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to uh, you know, provide information for them um, to hopefully make some money. Um, I'm not always right <laughs> with that being said, but I mean, I remember when I first started out, there was a trainer who emailed, um, then Charlie Hayward oh, and, um, the, oh my gosh, why can't I think of his name right now? His name's completely gone out. Anyway, um, emailed the, the CEO Naira. Um, and basically asking for them to fire me, to remove me, that I'm, you know, I, I, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. And they came back and basically said, if you ever threaten one of my employees again, like we're going to have a serious problem. So that was the end of that one. Um, and there was a time a trainer um, wasn't happy with what I said because this was when Tom was actually working for Eddie Keneally and this trainer claimed a horse from Eddie Keneally and was running on the turf for the first time. And he basically said, this horse does not look like a turf horse. And two, I've, I've just seen him maybe look a little bit better in the past. Well, they didn't like that because I thought they thought I was promoting Tom, even though it wasn't even Tom training, you know, Tom's name on the program and went on Twitter and just bashed me. <laughs> but never tagged me. And so luckily somebody on Twitter was like, if you want to, if you want to talk badly about a person, at least have the you know decency to tag them. And so tag me and they, and I saw the conference and what they said. And Andy did come to my defense for me. And uh, yeah, so everybody at Naira has been very supportive. And I hope that trainers know that I'm never trying to, you know, ruin the reputation or, or anything like that. It's just, if a horse doesn't look good on a certain day, chances are they're not going to run well. And I mean, I know that there's, I, I'm a trainer's daughter. I'm a trainer's wife. I know that there comes pressure from the owners, from the racing office to run these horses. And, and, you know, you, you have to kind of, you have to, you're meeting a lot of needs and wants of different people. And sometimes the horses aren't going to be there for you on that day because it's just not their day or it's in a condition where I'm sure the trainers know that they probably don't even want to run the horse there, but it's what race came up. It's the owner wanting to try the horse on turf, what have you. So I know that those are circumstances, but like I said, I'm there for the better, not anybody else. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, you know, what are you supposed to do? Like lie about it? You know, I mean, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't understand what the alternative is. And I understand trainers, you know, I'm sure Tom has to deal with it all the time and, and other trainers I know have to deal with it. And and I think it's, it's, it's a, uh, there's nothing that to change about the game, but I, I've noticed it with some of my friends that, that have to deal with that, you know, that are trainers or that are like partners, like operating partners of a, of a situation. Right. This game is interesting. It's very similar to me to like the NFL where a guy can watch ESPN and play fantasy football and suddenly he's got all the answers. And I think that the same can be said about racing when it comes to some owners, these powerful people that have money to buy these horses and they are extremely successful in whatever venture they obviously have taken on in life. And when they come to this game and they, they feel like they have all the answers. So I could see an owner saying, well, Maggie said my horse looks short, calling the trainer and giving the trainer a hard time about that. Right. I can see how the trainers are like, come on. But that that's the game. That's what it is. You know, what what I don't <laughs> what are you supposed to do? Say the horse looks fit and the horse runs up the track, and then you're getting horse players that are bearing you on Twitter. It's it's a lose lose for you. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I mean, yes, we need owners, we need them to buy horses, but they also need to run for purses and that and betters are what's creating the purses. So everybody needs everybody, <laughs> uh, you know? So yeah, it's, it's tough. I look, I've been d- dealing, being a trainer, dealing with owners. And I'm very sorry if I've ever caused that kind of that issue. I feel poorly because I, I know how it feels. I've been there. I've watched my dad. I've watched my t- husband, um, deal with it. Um, but like I said, it's it's not my job. So obviously, your your father's a trainer, and and Tom as well. What what? How how big? I mean, is there a huge difference between their styles? I mean, I would imagine it's different, but or is, are they more similar than you would think? <laughs> They're nothing alike. They're nothing alike whatsoever. I mean, Tom is English. It's a completely different way of training in in England and Europe. And he's had to truly adapt to what, um, to American racing. But also Tom's in a circuit where it's the upper echelon of racing in America here in New York. And you're dealing with, with better bred horses a lot of the times and two he deals mostly with with younger horses and trying to develop them granted he's done well with horses he's claimed obviously and horses that we've gotten from from different trainers um but my dad made his way purely through claiming horses and that that is the biggest gamble in horse racing because you don't know what you're getting. You you can look at the PPs, but you don't know what's under the hood. Um, you can do your best to look for you know the 10 minutes or 20 minutes prior to a horse running, and you have to drop the slip. Um, but it's they're completely different, my dad and, and Tom. Um, so it's uh, it's their styles, and two as human beings are completely different as well. <laughs> How involved are you um, now with the barn? And 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 uh, I mean, are you there? Do you, how often do you do you see yourself out there every week? And and how much how much of a role do you play now? I wish I could play more, but I have the girls. I have two girls, and prior to COVID, they could they could come and and be a part of the barn, but right now they can't. So um, 
<laughs> the three of us, we can't be as active as we, we once were. But I mean, go back to before I was pregnant with Willow um, down in New Orleans when I you know wasn't really working at for Naira during the wintertime. I was at the barn every day. I was getting on horses. I was grooming horses. I was doing everything. Uh, so it's more of a, as far as since I've had my daughter's or since I had Grace, um, it was kind of when I was needed and stuff. Um, but before I had children, it was every day I was galloping. So I was very involved. Um, but still, Tom and I discuss, you know, horses and everything like that. So even though I'm not physically there, I still have the conversations with Tom about where to run horses and stuff like that. Granted, he doesn't have to listen to me, nor does does he. So, <laughs> but it's it's. I think it's good for him to have at least a sounding board. Right. How how um. At, at what point did it did was there like a did you used to talk about Tom's horses and then just like it just realized that that was like not a winning game to play or is it just did you realize that was a direction you wanted to go from the very beginning? It was kind of direction I wanted to go from the very beginning. Like I'll give you an example. Like I I. If I feel as though they should be talked about, then then fine. But I mean, you know, I got backlash from not talking about Xanthique the other day. Well, you know, before we came back to racing New York, I had said on the show, it's not that I'm expecting people to watch the shows every single day, um, that she was the horse I was most excited to looking forward to in Tom's Barn, um, running back. And in that race specifically, she already had run. There's four horses coming back off layoffs or ones that were coming back from Gulfstream races or South Florida races. So there really wasn't a need for me to talk about her. You know, she ran well in her last start in New York. Why wouldn't she run well again? Um, so, and then two, I remember last year there was a horse that was galloping. It was a maiden 20 and I walked into the paddock and he by far looked the best. And I got on air and said it. But it was a wet track. And whenever I galloped him on a wet track, he just didn't feel quite as good. So I said that. So I was like, he looks the best, but I'm not totally sure about him handling this wet track. So he wins. Well, people think I'm trying to cold water because I said he wouldn't like a wet track. I mean, I'm not on them in a race. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not. And I have, since I've become a mother, stopped breezing horses. So I, you know, it's just the way he felt galloping. I chopped. I give every bit of information that I have and I'm being completely honest and transparent and objective and still I can't win. So <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I've, 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 I've realized it too yeah. much. Sometimes it's debilitating to have too much information, you know? Exactly. Um, exactly. I mean, that happened to me this weekend, actually. I mean, I, I loved Vacoma two starts ago and, and um, you know, I've, I've, got a pretty good relationship with George and I just knew George was concerned about bringing him back quickly. He just, you know, he just, it's, he runs his lifetime best freaks in the slop. There's not, I mean, everyone's probably thinking that, but just knowing that George was just concerned a little bit, mm -hmm. it made me like kind of get off. And then it, it, I ended up using the horse like as a saver and I didn't hit anything. You know, it's, it's, so it's like it, sometimes having too much information could be problematic. And for you in that situation, that was a real opinion. It was a real thing. And they're four-legged animals running in a circle, like stuff happens, you know, and the horse happened to like it and won. It, it, it has to be a tough place. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what it is. Having too much information is the problem. <laughs> I would say with me talking about my husband's horses, because for me to formulate an opinion on them, I think, you know, I'll be more than happy to share it with you. Um, what I know and everything like that, but to have an opinion 
on them, it's, it, it just never, it never works out. Right. No, I can, I can imagine. Um, so it, you know, people always ask me, like, one of the questions I get a lot is like, well, how do you know, how do you, how do you end up on TV? And I, my story is really weird. I just, I don't know. I would, somebody from Naira DM'd me that Tony wanted to meet me. I went and met Tony and then like, it kind of happened. Um, with Travis, like at Aqueduct, was that you like a long time ago? I feel what, like what happened at Aqueduct? Were you, you're, are you friends with Travis Stone? Yeah. 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 Did you come to Aqueduct at any point when he was calling races? I don't think so. I've only been to Aqueduct like one and a half times. And it was like, it was like, I mean, it was a very, I'm very proud of the moment when I went, but I went straight from JFK <laughs> with my suitcase to Aqueduct before I went to the city. Cause that's, I'm dedicated. Um, I don't think okay. I've ever been to, I don't think I've ever been to Aqueduct with Travis though. Okay. never mind then. I, for some reason, yeah, I, I don't think so. Like several years ago. And re- I just remember like him being like, yeah, this is such and such. I don't remember the name if it was you or not, but played in the NA- NHC. So for some reason, I just thought it was you. Sorry. It might have been Nick Tamaro, even though no, Nick and I look nothing alike. <laughs> I know Nick is, don't worry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yes. Um, um, I'm trying to think when – no, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't – I've only been to Aqueduct once, I think. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure once. <laughs> I think, yeah. Um, but anyways, how, how did you um, – how did how did this all happen for you? How did how did you get involved in this gig of of being a presenter on television uh, for horse racing? I when I graduated college in two thousand nine, I had I worked for the Maryland Jockey Club and Colonial Downs, doing you know some on air stuff with that. But after like my second summer um, at or no after my first summer at Colonial, I got a tape and resume together and sent it out to every track and every network horse racing network um in the country and feel very fortunate that dan silver and andy serling contacted me i remember andy calling me on new year's eve going into 2009 and saying we want to meet with you okay so i went up for two meetings but at that point Naira was just having that financial difficulty that most tracks have gone through without the presence of VLTs. And so they were in the process of trying to get them. So they were like, we're, we're not really hire, we're not going to be able to hire you right away. And they said, why don't you come up and intern at Saratoga? And I did that. I worked at Colonial another summer and then went straight up to Saratoga, interned in about two weeks left in the meet. They offered me a position so I came back, I moved to uh, to Long Island and worked Belmont. And at like the last two weeks of Belmont, they put me on air and that was, that was it. <laughs> That's crazy. Did uh, it, it, so Andy, you know, I, I had like heard Andy one time say like, you know, I hired Maggie and I was like, Andy, shut up. You didn't hire anybody. But then. <laughs> I, but it's that's actually what happened. I didn't I didn't know that I didn't know that Andy was actually involved in the hiring of Maggie Wolfendale. Andy is and likes to say he is involved with a lot of things. Um, no, he he really is. He was. Um, you know, he said to Dan, "We we should have somebody in the paddock. Like that should be a part of our daily simulcast shows because it's helpful." 
and he's absolutely right. And obviously, Nairo's won the first track, so kind of, I mean, Jan Rushton, who I kind of, you know, who preceded me a bit, a bit, she kind of did both. Um, but her physical knowledge of the horses was very useful and insightful. And so that's kind of what Andy wanted, but to do it just primarily about upon physicality and what the horses look like. And so, yeah, I, I did, I interviewed with him twice. Uh, so he was the person I suppose that hired me. Yeah. I think it's always interesting with like Andy is like, you know, and, and I've, before I worked with him, I, I always thought I was like, damn, he's kind of rough around the edge. He's always yelling at somebody. And then you realize when you get to know him, he's actually really kind of a sweet man. I know probably hard for some people to realize but he's very thoughtful and you know he's he sent me some really nice text messages in the past and reached out to me in situations to to be encouraging or to to just talk or whatever um you know i think that i think that people probably have that perception of him but i think that you probably more than anyone have kind of been on this 10-year journey with andy what, what's your relationship with andy like i mean it's great now like he as you said he's incredibly caring no one texted me more and checked in with me because Miss Willow took forever to come. Um, and I mean, he nearly checked in with me every day to see how I was doing and everything like that. And his, you know, very asked about the girls all the time. And yeah, I mean, it took a while for us to get there because he did hire me. So he, he felt as though he he was the one kind of responsible for the job I did. And while he's always come to my defense when other people, you know, wanted to bring me down or, or what have you, he also had his opinions of what I should be doing. And he was tough on me at first. Um, I, un I totally understand why looking back on it because Andy is incredibly hardworking and, I mean, to lack of a better way to put it, he's very anal about the product that we put out. So he wants it to be perfect. And he he expects perfection from himself. So he expects that from other people as well. I mean, he knows that we're not always going to be right, but we need to do the best job and have provide the best information possible. So there was a point, though, where I felt as though, hey, man, I am... <laughs> I remember him doing, saying something to me one day, you know, you should do it like so-and-so. I'm not going to say their names. And I said, <laughs> with some profanity, I don't give a F how so-and-so does it. I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> and I remember the look on his face being like, oh, oh, shit. <laughs> and I think I earned a little bit of respect from him for saying that. And too, I mean, there's just been instances that we have just, yeah, we've batted head, you know, here and there, but we always come back at the end of the day, like, Hey, I love you kind of thing. So no, it's, we have a really good relationship. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I think that he's, uh, you know, I think he's very misunderstood and don't get me wrong. A lot of it's self-imposed, but <laughs> I think he's very misunderstood and, uh, and uh, I'm going to eventually one day, I got to find the right time because I can only imagine being like, hey, Andy, you want to you be on, on my show? Like, oh, well, I, I, got, I got this, I got to do that. So I got to find that perfect opportunity to, to try to get him to get on here and, and give his side of the story. Um, That's all I, can oh, I, I try not to talk to him during Saratoga. <laughs> um, you know, you talked about your journey. Um 
through through broadcasting and and one of the things you know obviously I, I think you do a great job and I've, I've said that before in your normal role but I've always been impressed especially like understanding it more I probably wouldn't have been impressed until like working in TV now but your ability to 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 host as well which is like that blows my mind like if Terrence talks to me in my ear our producer Terrence talks in my ear while I'm just doing a hit I start being like <laughs> I have no idea what's going on let alone um, having to kind of carry the show like that. Did you, was that just something that through experience you just got comfortable doing? Was it something that, you know, you kind of got some, some dry runs doing it at just a simulcast feed or whatever, or, or um, how did you, uh, when was the first time you tried to do the hosting thing? Yeah, no, definitely doing like, I, there was a few times I hosted talking horses and that, that definitely prepped me for doing the shows, but I don't know, maybe it's, no offense, but maybe it's just being a woman and being able to multitask a little bit as far as hearing, you know, them talking in my head and everything like that, or in my head, in my ear. Um, but because I noticed that, um, like Acacia is very good at it too, um, for not having as many years experience, but she's really, really gotten very good at hosting our shows, I think. And, um, I, yeah, it's just reps. It's, kind of putting on a different hat and you know you're for me it's it, it took some adjusting because I'm always on an island I'm always by myself for the most part and it's I think it's harder to be holding that conversational tone while you're constantly by yourself so for me going up and hosting it was actually kind of a relief to tease somebody else up to have to t- talk and to, you know to have that conversation back and forth it's it's easier i think um, oh yeah stand ups i hate like i mean i've gotten comfortable being at home but like i remember like at the beginning oh my god i i sometimes really forget i even watched it back and and every time i bring it up people are like oh i remember that which makes me even feel more mortified about it but when i went to i went to uh arkansas by myself and i just completely it was the first day that i realized that i cannot have my pick five ticket on my iPad because I was trying to scroll through to get to the next race to talk about the race as I'm giving my pick five, but I've got the mic in my hand and I couldn't do it. And I'm like, and I was all, it was the worst experience ever. And uh, being by yourself is so much harder than sitting at a desk with someone else. hundred percent. That's why hosting really didn't, it wasn't that big of a challenge. It takes some practice, but once you get used to it, you, it just it's rolling with it. I mean, I I, stu- I stumble more being by myself in the paddock, having done it ten years day in and day out, than I feel like I have hosting. So, for you I know, think part of it is one of the things I had to get used to is being you have to, you you have to become confident in in your own silence because yes. a lot of times you feel like you're talking really slow when you're letting it breathe and then you're, it keeps you from stammering because you can kind of whatever. And I had to teach myself that just to slow down and like not feel so um, overwhelmed by that silence, you know, and that's the hardest part. And I would imagine that hosting is the same way. I I noticed Greg and in the feed who obviously those two guys are just phenomenal. Um, The way that they, I mean, they'll just, they'll like, they'll just lay out and leave open air for sometimes three, four five seconds and it doesn't sound bad. Right. But it, to me, I, I would feel like that's an eternity, you know? Yeah. I mean, like I noticed like Lafitte will go really slow for a moment and it lets you kind of, well, what's 
like what's happening? Like it kind of builds a suspense a little bit. Um, so yeah, that, and two, it's just kind of learning from watching other people and listening to other people. I mean, like I don't get to watch the shows per se. Cause like I pretty much, I only sometimes have a monitor, like maybe two minutes before and after a race. And then most of the time I'm just listening. So listening to Greg and Lafitte and, and now, you know, Acacia, like that's kind of how you learn to do the different roles. But um, yeah, like you said, being by yourself on an Island is, that's why like I get so happy to do an interview, (laughs) not, not um, doing interviews while we were covering Churchill, which I'm really happy we covered Churchill because the racing was great, but like not being able to do interviews, like was kind of sad. (laughs) I know. No, that, that, that was, um, I love those. I think that there's so many good, so many good nuggets in those. And like, I, I remember this weekend, the, or maybe two weekends ago, um, when, or maybe it was last week, it, it all runs together. You know what I'm talking about? When oh, yeah. Creed, after Creed won, your interview with Suge, I thought was awesome when he, when he kind of explained that he made that mistake last year of thinking because Code of Honor was so slight that he didn't, you know, you kind of had to take it easy on him from a training standpoint. And then he realized, no, 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 he actually wants to be trained. And that's how he thrives despite his size. And that was just huge for me. Because I would have tossed – I mean, obviously, it didn't work out anyways. He still ran huge the other day. But I would have tossed him thinking that, you know, that whole mindset of him coming back too quick. Yeah. I mean, because last year, that's what Suge kept saying. Oh, he needs a time to, you know, put it all together. He needs a time between the races because he's small. And it was cool to hear a guy who has, what, been doing this for almost 40 years in the Hall of Fame, has changed grade one after grade one winner, champion after champion – say, Hey, I had to learn this and figure this out about this horse. That's what makes Shug so great. I mean, because he, he's, he's like the least bit arrogant and just, I mean, I think he's tremendous. And I mean, that was more, that was just Shug being super in that interview, um, rather than me doing anything. So, um, it's, and it just shows you that you're you're never too old to learn new tricks and you never stop learning period throughout life. No, for sure. And and it's it's uh I, I always think that that those situations and like I said earlier, like I think that that you know, the interviews that you do right after the races, the pre race interviews, and then also the paddock stuff, like if from a horse player standpoint, like um I think that there's so much to gain from that, even if it doesn't help you like today. I think that it it just helps in the future. It just makes you have ideas in your head of, oh, I didn't even think that that could be a thing, first of all. But then also it can help you make other decisions down the line as you as you get further along. So um I know that I know that it, it's helped me a ton. How 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 much, if any, betting have you done in the last 10 years and with with all of this extra i mean i'm sure your handicapping knowledge has grown quite a bit from when 10 years ago but like so how much how often do you find yourself um popping in a little wager here or there dude not nearly as much as i should i mean i'm terrible about betting i really am i mean because when i'm working i'm on my feet so much and i know it's easy just as going on your phone and thing but i'm like constantly taking notes and here's me talking about oh i can multitask some reason I can't multitask to bet. Um, so like, I have missed out so much. If I'm sitting in my office, oh, hold on, the baby's crying. You're right. Uh, I think she'll go back to bed, sleep. Um, like I, um, oh Jesus, 
I lost my train of thought. If you're sitting in your office. <laughs> I'm sitting in my office and I see a horse running that, you know, I thought, well, he wants to definitely do this. And I thought he ran really well last time and he looked great. Then I'll, I'll you know, I'll bet. But I literally can't work and bet for some reason. I should, probably shouldn't admit that, but. No, no, I don't think it's bad. I, I have to, um, I got to a point where I have to uh, like put my pick five in before. I can bet on the fly, like some certain things on the fly, but I have to put like my pick five runs in ahead of time. Cause I, you know, I'm doing multiple tickets and A's and B's and da, 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 whatever. Yeah. And so I have to get it in because I just, it's on the show. You can prepare all you want and that's great. And we all do our preparation, but I think the other part, which is something that like Lafitte has always like complimented me about, which made me feel like I need to keep doing it, which is like, you're listening to the show, which yeah. is, no, Which is weird because some people would think that that's why wouldn't you be listening to the show? But if you start doing other things, you might say something and I didn't hear it. And then I, I either ignore that you said it, which makes me look like I'm not paying attention or I'm, I'm missing an opportunity to elaborate on something that you said or Greg said or Andy said. And so like I try to pay attention during the show. Exactly. And I love being able to do that. That's why, yeah, I'm constantly listening. And for our bigger shows in which we had two sets for, I'm just talking specifically the last two weeks or a couple weeks here at Belmont, I, for some reason, there's an audio issue and I can't hear Mig's mic and it drives me up the wall. Like I sent him a text. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I can't hear Mike. I don't want to step on your toes. And I want to hear what you're saying. He's like, what's wrong with you? Like, it's fine. Don't apologize to me. I was like, I know, but it's so frustrating to me. Like, I want to hear what you're saying. So, um, yeah, it's so important to do that. And you're right. And you do it a lot. I mean, you, you will change your opinion based upon something I've said or Andy said, and it's so, it makes the show so much better because it's a cohesive, um, product that we're putting out. I mean, we don't want, to be repeating and, and saying things that's already saying things that have already been said. I mean, what's the point of that? So I think right. off of people is, is so important for our shows. Yeah. And it's like, and, and you know, the point about, about changing my opinion, I think some people will be like, well, why would you do that? Well, because like, if, if I open up the past performances and I spend 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour looking at a race, I am looking at information on a piece of paper to help me make a decision. I'm gathering information. It just happens to be on that piece of paper in a one-on-one -on -one setting with me and that piece of paper. Right. But if there's other information that I gather between now and when the race is run, why do I have to stick to my previous opinion when I've gathered more information? Yeah. So to me, and I think that's honestly a difference between like, you know, people who bet seriously and people who, who don't is like, I don't, I can't afford to, I cannot afford to be arrogant enough in my own opinion that when I hear something that I respect, that's enlightening to not, to not take that into account, you know? Um, especially because there's so many times when I'll have an opinion that there's still holes in it. Like, Oh, I love this horse off the layoff. If, if this horse runs off the layoff to his last race, then he's going to win. His figure as a two-year-old is good enough. He's da, 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 whatever. And then he gets in the panic and you say he looks like he's got three legs. And that's that's information that I needed, that I was leaving. There was a hole there. So right. I want to adjust and change on the fly because like I said, I, I can't can't afford to to be stubborn in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it's it's – it's so important because at the end of the day, we're betting money on animals. 
I mean, <laughs> you know, it's they they have good days and bad days. They're not computers. They're not machines. Um, so it's it's so important to be able to adapt. I, I think in 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 our industry. So I just want to. I'm always. I'm just so curious about your process. So um, let's say it's Saratoga. They come in what? 18 minutes to post is when they come in. 19, yeah, 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah, between 18. So, what is your what what's your what does those next eight nine minutes look like for you? Um, standing there with my <laughs> with my pad, I use a Surface. It's a love hate relationship with it. Um, and you know, looking at my notes of what I have with the horse before, or looking at pedigree. Um, does the horse look the same? Does it match what it, I think in the pedigree or the workouts? Or am I kind of seeing what I thought about the horse in the workout or replay for a horse I've never, you know, that hasn't run on this circuit? Um, you know, there's a lot of comparison. There's a lot of initial impressions. Um, maybe I've never seen the horse. Maybe it's the first time starter that I wasn't planning on talk. Like there's horses I plan on talking about most times. Um, layoffs, first time starters, uh, short short priced, if it's a two-year-old race, short priced horses, you know, making their debuts. Um, but if there's a horse that I wasn't planning on talking about that I'm just immediately drawn to, well, that horse is getting a circle um, because I want to talk about them. Um, so it's, a, it's kind of, it's first looking at the horses that I know I want to talk about and then identifying ones that need to be addressed, whether it's a short price horse that's, that I wasn't really going to plan on talking about just because, you know, the peepees are there that maybe doesn't, isn't handling the heat well, is really washed out, is super nervous or is too quiet or doesn't look fit or is too light or something like that. Um, so that's kind of what I go through knowing that there's horses I want to talk about and then adding in for whatever reason, the other ones that need to be addressed too. Now, when you mentioned like, um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I've seen you sometimes just like in the background of the screen. So I kind of see where you are and you're just kind of usually off by yourself, Mm -hmm. but I would imagine that, you know, people want to come talk to you. Yeah. That's going to be the one nice thing about Saratoga this year. (laughs) How how do you, how do you, what do you, how do you handle it? Do you see them coming and try to dodge or do you just kind of get in and out or does it sometimes do you just kind of get sucked in and it just you can't do anything about it all three of those things um you know sometimes i just avoid eye contact like i'm just purely looking at the horses you know for times that there's a lot of horses i gotta talk blah blah blah. and then there's sometimes like people don't get get the hint and they want to talk and and i'll just be like yeah yeah okay you know yeah and then i'll just kind of keep working as i'm talking and they're like oh okay you're busy like yeah i'm busy (laughs) and then there's sometimes like people like friends i haven't seen in forever that I lose myself and I just start talking to him like, Oh crap. <laughs> so, right. So yeah, my, my favorite things apply. My, my favorite move um, when I'm like at a racetrack or whatever, like if I'm at, you know, I was at fairgrounds or if I was at Churchill or whatever, and someone's talking to me, um, I just put my finger on my IFB. <laughs> like I'm, Oh, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got like you. someone's talking to me just because, and it's not cause I'm trying to be ugly. It's because I'm nervous. And I need to think about what the hell I'm going to say so that I don't embarrass myself. I mean, you look, know, I mean, 
John, the majority of the time I'm on air, I'm trying as hard as I possibly can not to say the F word. There, right. There have been times where people are like talking to me and like, I, I know, like I'm listening to the show and I know they're coming to me soon. And it'll, it'll be like times where they're like, okay, you're off camera. And they'll be talking to me and I'll be like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And here in the paddock, we're looking at, like, I've literally gone from a conversation to presentation, like without a take of a breath, but that just comes with doing it for as long. Yeah, I mean it's cool, but and then uh, I, you know, they that happens to us a lot. Like when Andy and I are at the that paddock desk at Saratoga, like people come to the side and like, hey, you know, who you like in the fifth? And you don't want to like blow them off, you know. <laughs> You're just like, one, but it's one second, one second, you know. Sorry, one minute. <laughs> give me a minute. Give me a minute. Um, at Saratoga, a, a few. I mean, a couple times last year, and and maybe more often prior. Um, Maybe your uh, your condition <laughs> last year kept you from doing as much, but going out on the track with uh, with the pony and doing the interview interviews out there, do you do you really enjoy doing that? In a perfect world, would you do that more often, or is it pretty stressful? Hmm. Both. Um, like, well, a i i i i don't want to wear my pony out too much. It's <laughs> the one thing, and I think it's it takes away from its specialness for lack of a better way to put it if you're doing it every single day every race um so i i think this year like i did the not last year but the year before i'm probably going to do it you know every weekend kind of thing for the big days um i absolutely love it it can be stressful well because a lot of times there's equipment issues and like being I'm out on a horse. Like, how am I going to get this fixed kind of thing? Like I remember doing the the regular Fox show last year and I went out on the track and it was such a manic production. Um, cause I, you know, I had to jump from being in the paddock to on my horse to da, 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 and it's so crowded cause it's Travers day and, and I'm running people over like, move out of the way, come and throw on the horse map. And I get out there and the mic doesn't work. And my poor pony, I, luckily he was like, he, he, it was our former assistant's pony and he's a quarter horse and he had, he was like cutting horse before that. He wheeled around so quickly. (laughs) Some guy actually managed to take a picture of me because, and I looked so mad. I'm like, my effing mic. And we wheeled around so quickly. Some guy took a picture. It was actually, it's actually a really cool picture because we're like in action. And luckily for some reason it started working again, but that is the stressful part of it. And two, I can't watch the races typically. Um, unless it's like a mile and an eighth race on the main track, then, you know, I can be behind the gate when they start and then I can kind of slowly mosey down and watch on the screens and then be at the turn when they're galloping out. But, um, I just purely have to listen to the call and to what our producers say in my ear as to who won. I mean, remember last year when there's the the controversial dead heat in the, what was that, the Boston Spa? And I didn't know who to get. It was a rainstorm. I said, well, okay, I'll grab Louie because at least he's close. (laughs) (laughs) And um, then it, it just started lightning and my pony wanted to run off. He was like, we must take shelter, must go now. So, um, but yes, at the end of the day, I really love doing it. And plus I'll be reunited with my own pony this year, Jaeger, who 
um, is like a member of our family. So Jaeger's coming to Saratoga and I'm looking forward to it. How long have you had uh, Jaeger? Jaeger came to us in the fall of 2015. Jaeger kind of has a unique story, if you don't mind me going into it for a moment. No, of course. Um, of course. So he's a New York bred by Diodoro. He sold at the Saratoga, you know, Phasig Tipton New York bread sale as a yearling. Bought by English pinhookers, brought to England, broke, sold at, I think, a breeze up sale there. Jeremy Nosita, who's Tom's former boss, Tom worked for Jeremy Nosita for four years prior to coming to America. He won, I think he broke his maiden, won, not at Royal Ascot, but at Ascot, and then actually came to... Um, Arlington, ran in the secretariat, had a horrific trip, subsequently got hurt, like had ankle surgery, then tried to come back, colic twice, had colic surgery. And, you know, he just wasn't performing as he was formally in New York, in um, England. So Tom said, you know, was still friendly with the owner at that point, said, you have a New York bread, you can be running for so much more money if you send them to me. So he came to us 2015. I think he was four at that point. And, um, he, it took a while because he, he still had like stomach issues, you know, shipping over and getting used to everything. And then we ran him back and on the dirt and he actually, I think his third start of his comeback, like in March, he, uh, he won an A other than, or two X, for New York Reds and ran competitively in a couple more races and then broke his hind ankle. So Patty Hogan actually saved him by removing the shattered part of the joint. So he only has about three quarters to a half of his hind ankle um, in there still. So gave him nine months. I brought him back, did some like dressage, had him on the farm for like nine months. And then life just got too busy with a baby, blah, 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 blah. And I said, Tom, why don't we just bring him to the barn, try to make him a pony. So he's been our pony ever since. Um, and he's been my TV horse. And I did the real rider cup on him. I made him jump courses and like for two weeks, he was a jumper for two weeks randomly. Um, so Jaeger, I like to describe him as like the jack of all trades, but master of none <laughs> because he's a pain in the butt. He, he doesn't really want to do things, but he'll do them kind of thing. <laughs> does he, uh, do you, does he, um, does he work every morning or do you just use him certain times? He works every morning. Yeah. I mean, up at Saratoga, he probably won't work as much because Tom won't have that many horses. But Tom's like, I'll bring him up. I'll use him when I'm there. And then you can use him in the afternoon. So he'll have a little bit of an easier Saratoga and then he'll need a vacation again. <laughs> oh, that's so much fun. I, I Just hearing all these these stories about the horses, like um, I actually the other day, I, I didn't tell you this. Someone texted me just like it was kind of new to the show. And, uh, you know, they didn't know your name, so they didn't like address you as Maggie. They addressed you as the girl in the paddock. They said, uh, that girl in the paddock, like someone needs to tell her that these are horses, not humans. She like talks about them like they're humans. And I thought that was a huge compliment, right? I got, you know, I mean, obviously they didn't, they might not have meant that as a compliment, but I think it's a compliment of like how enthusiastic and passionate you are about it. And I just love listening to you talk about them. And when you get, you can just tell that you're like really um enjoying it like you can hear it in your voice when you're commenting uh on the horses that you seem like you really enjoy it well 
I totally do. Are you kidding me? I'm living my, my dream. This is my dream job. And horses, what, you know, people that might not be as familiar with, with racing and any equestrian kind of sport is that they're all individuals. They're, they all have their own personalities. They all have their own, you know, physical attributes or ailments. Um, they all like certain things. And I, that's the, that's the fun part of working with horses is, is learning about them and what they like and they don't like and, you know, how they like to be ridden and how they like their food and everything like that. So that's, I think for the horsemen part of it, that's, that's when they get up and do it every day. Now I am going to, and look, I'm, time is, you, we, we go pretty long on this sometimes, but look, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm feeling the same way you are. There's there's only so many hours of free time left before there's no free time at all. You got it. So, um, <laughs> I have always felt like if I could equip myself with some of the visual techniques that I could that would you know I could really step my game up. But I also accept the fact that the biggest thing is reps and seeing them a lot um, in stakes races at Saratoga when I'm off or at the, you know, like afterwards I always hang out in the paddock bar. I always try to look and I just to, just to put my eyes there and just see and see if I can identify anything and, and just not doing it enough. I struggle. The only trick that I've really even picked up on, which I don't even know if it's even a good trick anymore is, is like the walking thing, like the, the foot, the hoof replacement thing. The overreach. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some easy tricks that, if you're not looking all the time, you're not going to be able to kind of, you know, develop the the full uh, ensemble of, of of skills to identify. Like, you know, if a horse player, someone asked me about a horse player, I would say like, you know, look at this pace figure number and whoever has the fastest one, that's a horse you probably should use. That's just a quick cheat for you, you know, that right. you can use without having to fully understand it. What are some of the visual tricks and tips that you would give someone uh, just to try to kind of get by a little bit? <sighs> Um, well, I love the overreach thing. That's a great one. That's a, like a really kind of niche one to, to learn. Um, but as just like far as an overall type of thing, um, horses that are poss- like energetic, but not doing too much, um, horses that are on their toes, but you know, the bowed neck and they, look like you can look at a person and you know you look at football players or, or I don't want to say boxers because some of them just look fat to me um but like a football player you you see them let's say without their shirts on or something like that you can see every muscle you know those those running backs or tight ends or whatever they're really well muscled same thing with a horse a horse that's got that muscle to them. Those are the horses you want. That's got that shiny coat. I mean, it doesn't take too much to recognize a horse that has shiny coat or the dapples that people ask me about. What are dapples? They're the the little circles um, that are slightly a different color than the rest of the coat that are, you know, kind of strewn throughout um, their barrel and their hindquarters. Those are good signs for horses. That's what you want to look at um, for if you're just talking generic uh, things that you, you can pick a horse out in the paddock that's going to run well. Um, if you want to identify if a horse is like, you, I've heard you say heavy, mm. where do your eyes need to go? The belly? Belly. Um, obviously kind of within the, the flank there. And to 
I mean, that's like the first part, but also are those like heavy, yes, in that term, but also kind of, I'll say like weak a little bit. And weak is kind of referring to a horse's top line. You know, you want those hindquarters to look like very round and almost, you know, you talk about an apple bottom, that kind of thing. You don't want that peaked look. You don't want um, too much of those, that tailbone kind of sticking up as well. So is that, so when you, when you're wanting to identify like maybe muscle mass, that's where you would go strictly to the, to the rear end area. Rear end, first, shoulder, second. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, that's what I struggle with is like the shoulder. Like they all look good to me. Right. Like, cause they, cause you know, you can, when they're, when they're walking, it's like, there there's just like a lot of just, there's so much definition up there. Right. And, um, and then, you know, I mean, either one, I mean, no matter what we talk about now, it's really hard when you don't have a frame of reference. And so if you're not looking at a lot of them, it's really hard to tell. Um, but, but that is one, um, what, the one that I struggle with, I think is like the quiet being quiet. Like, I, cause to me, quiet also looks like relaxed. Like what's that kind of that threshold? Is it their head drops too low or is it, is it unique? That. That is a real, that's something that for me, that's being around horses my entire life. And that's one I, I read, I can't remember. It was somebody who's very good at buying horses. I can't remember who said it, but, uh, they always said the first place I start when identifying horses or picking out horses is with their head and their eye. And that's me too. Horses. I always want a horse, I say, with an honest eye, that big, wide open eye um, that just possesses that kind of dominance or that intensity, not bugged out, nervous looking and not like half asleep, like, you know, that lazy type of look. Um, You know, it's it's tough. It's tough to necessarily tell people this is exactly what you want to look for and this is good, this is bad. It's it's a lot of knowing the horses and just knowing horses in general um, as far as looking at that. Um, and then their head. I, I've actually, I think maybe Angel Cordero told me that one time at dinner. I think maybe he said something about like that all great, you know, like the real great ones all had kind of like big heads. Yeah. Um, people have made fun of me about the ears, but I swear, and it only applies to mares and fillies. If they have big ears, it generally means they're runners. I don't know. It's just something my mom's taught me and it, it really rings true. Like look at four star crook and she's probably an overachiever given her pedigree. She had the biggest ears ever. Um, and even like newspaper record, like, and it's been a lot of Chad's horses too, because he is so proficient with those, you know, fillies and mares, but, um, that's one thing. And yeah, Angel's right. They do tend to have bigger heads because also bigger heads lead to bigger airways. Um, you know, a horse needs that oxygen. So the more oxygen they can bring in, the more proficient they're going to be able to run. What about um, the tail? Does the tail tell you anything? Absolutely nothing. Good. I'm just. I'm, I'm looking at Keelan. Right. I'm, I'm actually looking at Keelan right now, trying to like think if there's any more questions I want to ask while I'm sitting here looking. And this horse is swishing their tail like crazy. So I said, like, "Let me ask Maggie about this oh, tail situation." Hi, 
but that can mean one's agitated or it can mean there's just a fly. Um, tail squishing sometimes is an indication of, of maybe something's pinching them behind, like, you know, maybe a suspensory is niggling them a little bit, especially like when they're running in a race. Um, and two, you can also look as far as tail carriage, like if they're carrying their tail off to one side, that usually means that they're not a lot, like you, you need to see a chiropractor if you're, you know, your one shoulder is up higher than the other. Um, it means like, you, you know, one shoulder's bothering you. So that's kind of an indication, but tails usually aren't used that much with the horses. You know what I mean? Like they're, yeah, it's something like you can't look at every horse and tell something about it by the way their tail looks or something like that. But if one's like really swishing or their tail's carried off to the side, then yeah, that can, that can mean something negative. Any equipment cues? that are easy for the, for the uh, layman's eyes to identify when it comes to like uh, maybe something that that they can identify easily that a horse might have on from an equipment standpoint? An extension blinker, you know, and a blinker covering one eye, typically their outside right eye. Um, Ichabad Crane used to wear an inside extension blinker um, and it worked great for him. Some, there's a few percentage of horses that extension blinkers work really well. The vast majority I don't like to see it on. And that's, is that where it covers their entire eye? Yeah. So they can't see, basically. I mean, they can see a little tiny bit straight out in front of them. But right. if they can't see it, they're not going to run to it. So that's why you cover, if they want to get out, typically, is what it's you know preventing. Um, they're not going to run out to that space if they can't see it. <laughs> Yeah, I would imagine like an extension, like a right extension blinker and then being inside seems like a terrible combination of a situation. Yeah, you don't want to um, be the jockey on the on the two horse. <laughs> if, if, you're, if the one's in there with an extension blinker on. Um, and we'll, get, we'll get close to getting it wrapped up here. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, about riders. Um, how, how much of a how how often do you pay attention to rider changes and what rider is where and and obviously being so familiar with with horses and and how they're individuals and and things they like and don't like and um how often in your in your handicapping do you you know kind of develop an idea after seeing a horse run they did something in a race and then how how much do you put into to make oh well irad's going to do this in that situation is that something or do you think that you can get lost doing that sure you can get a little lost but i've only noticed it like specifically with with some horses and riders like there's some riders in there that i think have amazing hands like Joel has great hands louis science has really good hands um there's some in there that i'm not going to name names but i would never put a them on a light mouthed horse i mean there was a horse Last year, I remember that that one, but one while bolting with a specific rider on. And as soon as the other rider got back on, didn't do it, stayed glued to the rail um, because they had really quiet hands. So, yeah, there's times where, like, I see a horse running in a race and I'll be like, oh, perfect. Or a horse that, you know, doesn't win unless they're forwardly placed. Oh, we got you know, we got somebody aggressive on, we got Kendrick, we got Louie on, you know, this horse going to work so much better because of it. Yeah. So there's that. 
when you say quiet hands, I mean, I, I, I think intuitively I know what you mean, but I just want to give you an opportunity and, and other people who might not intuitively think they know what it means. I'm assuming that it, you're just saying just that their hands are aware and like they, they're, they're soft where they need to be. Their placement is right where they need to be. They find that kind of that sweet spot, that groove with the horse, with the bridle and, and where they are. And is, is that, is that what you mean by with good hands? Yeah, no, it's, that's exactly what I mean. Um, you know, you're, you, because they're your communication with the horse, screaming at them isn't going to work. So if, I mean, like screaming at them, if you're pulling on them or you have no regard for the fact that you are basically a communicating with them and the, what you're communicating that with them is a bit in their mouth and their mouths are sensitive. Um, so therefore using soft cues, um, is going to lead to better results. So yeah. So putting, having quiet hands, putting their hands on a horse's kind of neck, or even if they want to be strong and you have to lift your hands up a little bit, not reaching and grabbing, you know, you know, not constantly changing your hold, being steady. I mean, look, think about, think back to Ramon Dominguez, very unconventional way of riding a horse. I mean, he would get so far back with his hands because he didn't ever want to reach and grab a horse. He just wanted to, and he would often only have two fingers in the reins as well because he would be so light in their mouth. So in galloping horses, a lot of times, horses that want to be tough if you just go out there and put a loop in your reins they won't pick up the bit because think about it when you're in the latter stages of a race what are jockeys typically doing they're picking up their reins they're throwing crosses and tightening that hole tightening that hole and what are you asking the horse to do to run faster so if you're trying to get a horse to switch off in the beginning of a race don't pick up your reins. <laughs> so that's, you have, so yeah, so soft hands mean not doing too much, not applying too much pressure and keeping that line of communication open and playful and not saying, no, come here. You know, I'm the boss of you. It's a team out there. Don't, don't, you know, you can't forget that. Um, it's two living beings. So that's what I mean by soft hands. So, but you have the nail on the head. What would a what would an aggressive rider or a, a, a you know overly physical rider? What would their you know I always like to see like ask what people's devil's advocate stance would be. What would their stance be if you said why don't you just put two fa two fingers in the reins or why don't you have a looser rein? What would they would they just feel like they don't have enough control? Um, probably it's probably the way that they they learn to ride as well. You know, a lot of these riders they they um they just strictly went to being a jockey. Um half of them never really galloped a horse more than half don't have any other equestrian experience, you know, in their, in their repertoire, me being someone who, and I'm, and I'm just, I could never go out there and ride a race for instance. Um, but me being someone who's done different disciplines and realized it, you can basically like riding dressage, you're controlling a horse pretty much strictly through your legs and your seat. Yes, you have your whole seat and leg to do it. So yes, that's why I think a jockey would say to me, well, how am I supposed to control a horse if because I don't have my legs to use with them? 
yeah, you, but it's all about not being too dramatic, not panicking. Think like, think, I just automatically think Joelle because Joelle never seems to be in a panic in any form of life (laughs) ever. He's like the chillest guy out there, but you never see him reach for a hold. It just, it kind of just, you know, it's all about being, if, and horses read into your emotions and your actions. So if you're not panicking, they're not panicking. They're going to relax. They're going to be relaxed as well. So um, I think that's kind of where I would say that's why you don't need to to be up in their face. <laughs> Maggie, I know uh, it's been a long time. Austin's eight now. So I, I sometimes forget about how precious that sleep time is for uh for mom and dad so you can hang out do things you got to do so i don't want to keep you too much longer we're right around the corner from saratoga things are about to get real hectic so um i wanted just to tell you thank you i appreciate you taking the time i know that that horse players um even before i was fortunate enough to work with you i know that i appreciated you i know a lot of people do too so we appreciate the hard work that you do and the and the commitment to uh, those uncomfortable conversations to help us make better decisions and and uh i'm extremely honored to to call you a colleague and work with you and i look forward to some fun weeks ahead when we get up north. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I've been waiting to do the JK Plus One podcast. Um, it's a great, you do a great job on any of the podcasts you're involved in and as well on our shows. I always get excited to hear what you have to say and and um, the jokes that you come up with because you always make me laugh. So <laughs> sometimes I need that during the shows during the day. So I can't wait for Saratoga. And we actually we'll be face-to-face six feet away face-to-face with Maxwell. Um, But at least we'll be in the same place. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, got, I try to, I try to, you know, pull my weight when Richie's not on, he's the real comedian. So when he's not there, I feel like I gotta, I gotta, gotta represent for him. You do a great job. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Well, that was awesome. Everything I've always dreamed that that conversation would be. Uh, so much. I mean, I, I'm glad that uh, I, I feel comfortable enough to ask Maggie to come back on again so that we can get her to elaborate. So you guys make sure you pay attention this summer. Anytime she says anything that you think is you want more, you want to know more about, save it, tweet it to me, DM me about it. And let's get a list of questions that we can, uh, we can, we can come back at Maggie with to, to ask her more about uh that special thing that she does with uh, helping us identify how these horses are looking coming into the paddock and what not. Well, look, I can keep going on and on and on, but if you're listening to me, you're wrong. You need to be looking at uh, Saratoga, right? I mean, it's uh, we've got Thursday PPs. I would imagine we have Friday as well. I've been uh, I've been driving to the undisclosed location, so I haven't seen the PPs for Friday yet, but I'm imagining that they're up at this point. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into Thursday. Um, not that you really care because you should be watching it anyways, but uh, if you really kind of care, Thursday, uh, I'm going to be on um, all four days this week, Thursday late, Friday early, Saturday late, Sunday early, alternating. Uh, late, what does late mean? 3.40 to 6.30. So I guess the, I think late, I, th- I think they, they're they going to split it up mostly in pick five. So if I'm on late, then I have the late pick five. If I'm on early, I have the early pick five. I think makes sense. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, it's exciting summer. Make sure you tune in to, uh, Fox 
FS1, FS2, I'd imagine Travers Day uh, on Big Fox. I don't know. I, I don't know that for sure, but I'm sure it's pretty close to accurate. Um, YouTube, that's another option. Remember, if you can't catch us on Fox or FS1 or FS2, you can you can always go to the Naira YouTube page. Naira Bets, you can look at it. can't remember the tab, but it says like uh, the Fox show. But anyways, I'm rambling. Um, thank you to Drew Coatney. Uh, thank you to Naomi. Uh, Matty Ice, Matt Bernier, TV's Matt Bernier. I think he's on TV this weekend at some point too. So make sure you flip back and forth. Um, Spencer, Spencer, uh, sponsorship for Spencer on his Spencer show this. So make sure you check that out. Congratulations to Spencer. Even though he sucked me into this contest that he knows I'm too busy for. And then I get beat in and then I have to be embarrassed about it. Um, PTF, that hairy faced gentleman. And uh, the new, the new edition to the in the money media network, our friend, Nick luck. Who would have thought we were just some regular old guys from the United States. And he's from the motherland where it all started or where it didn't start, I guess. And we've got him now on the podcast network. So make sure you uh, check Nick out, show some support for Nick and, uh, and uh, you'll enjoy his show. Obviously he's, he's one of the greatest presenters that we have in racing. And so we're very honored to have him as a part of the team. Um, go handicap Saratoga. Love you. See you next week. I need to know everything. Who in the what in the where I need everything. Trust me. I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche. Five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science, then let them in talk up their body, another one body, that's just how it go. I got some secrets, I'm shaking the game so they stay on their toes. Stay in your lane, I to stay on the go. I can to play with the pros and act like a rookie, so they overlook me. They're not double up again, none of their nose, none of them cold. They just got lucky, but never adapt.